0: Well, Welcome back, everyone, to uh, an episode of Sorry Not Sorry, where we unapologetically talk about Christianity and culture from a Pentecostal perspective. Today, we're joined by Sophie Banco and Dr. Jim Bradford. We're super excited to have you guys here. Um, And so I guess to preface our conversation today, we're going to be talking about women in ministry. And we're so happy to have you, Sophie. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you're up to nowadays?
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, So I came to Valley Forge as a student a few years ago um, and stayed for the GA program afterwards where I worked in spiritual formation, so helping a lot with things like chapel, discipling students on campus, that's a big part of my, my heart and what I feel like my call is. And then right now I'm serving as the women's residence director, so getting to disciple a lot of the RAs on campus. and. Yeah. That's that's what I'm doing.
0: Awesome. It's going to be so good to hear from you and our discussion. Uh, and Dr. Bradford, how about you? Just tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
2: Thanks. Good to be with you. Um, I Right now, I'm a pastor of uh, a pastor Central Assembly of God, which is in Springfield, Missouri. It's a church right beside the Assemblies of God headquarters, I'm going to be 115 years old this, uh, this summer, trace our roots back to Azusa Street. And our actually, our Central Assembly was started by uh, a lady. So our founding pastor was a female. And uh, so I, I have a lot of interest in, the, in this subject, of course. And um, my background's in engineering, kind of backed into ministry while I was a student at the University of Minnesota. We kind of had a spiritual breakthrough in a little Bible study I was leading. And uh, so I've been involved in vocational ministry since my 20s when I graduated from engineering.
0: Oh, very cool. Well, it's a pleasure to have you today with us. And uh, uh, one thing, uh, Dr. Bradford, you've actually been speaking in our chapels the past three days. uh, And this podcast is just, we see it as an extension of our chapels. Just as a resource for our students to dive a little bit deeper into the Word and uh, ask some tough questions and uh, see if we can look to the Bible for some answers. Uh, So anyway, with that, I'm going to pass it over to uh, Dom. Uh, I'd love to hear kind of... Where we're going to take our conversation yeah. today?
3: Well, again, thank you both so much for being here. This is wonderful. Um, so this is something that I think is so important to all of us: is to be um, as thoughtful as possible when we come to the text. We love the Bible. Uh, we want, we know that it's truth, but at the same time, we need a good hermeneutic, and we need to study it, you know, appropriately. So if it's all right, as a good Pentecostal, I will be kind of playing counterpoint with some questions as we move forward, and uh, and and Sophie and Doctor Bradford. Uh, I'm going to just start with that 1 Corinthians 14, uh, women being silent. Obviously, we'll move through, but I think the thing I want to qualify is that it doesn't seem that this issue of women in ministry is just one rogue verse in First Timothy. While it's important, there might be a theme. It seems at First Corinthians, we have head covering, First Corinthians, women being silent, First Timothy, issue of teaching, uh, even the issue of submission. Uh, we got Ephesians five, we got Titus, we got first Peter, possibly gentle, quiet spirit might be taken out of context a little there, but how do we approach these texts? I guess that's my first question.
2: I think there's a global sense in which as a Pentecostal, for me, the governing principle is the prophecy of Joel that Peter quotes and reaffirms on the day of Pentecost, where it's very clear our sons and our daughters will. Prophesy, Amen. and I will put my Spirit on both men and women, and they will prophesy. Paul's—I mean, Peter's—very specific there. Of course, glossolalia; they're speaking in tongues as they're filled with the Spirit, symbolizing God's making all of us His mouthpiece. And, and just like there's no age, the young and the old; there's no age discrimination. There's no gender discrimination there. So that has to be the backdrop. The, the other backdrop is just a culture one. I mean, first century context here in ephesus in corinth i mean it's very patriarchal and and paul like you you read what he says to titus with Mm -hmm. his new churches in crete and 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 he said you know we we gotta we gotta be careful to not discredit the gospel you know because the culture values some things too and if we're too blatantly against those things um we can discredit the gospel itself and Paul's passion about preserving the witness to the gospel. So it it is a male dominated context. And just like we would believe slavery Mm -hmm. is, is a huge to reduce people to property is a huge violation of God's standards. Paul couldn't change slavery either, but he tries to elevate what he can of the humanization of a slave. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, it looks like these scriptures, and we can deal with them individually, but it looks like these scriptures do kind of tilt with an accommodation to a very patriarchal society. And yet on the other hand, you have God
3: putting his spirit on men and women and making them all his mouthpiece. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, sir. I think, again, the presupposition is going to be important when we come to the text, not to just take it at face value out of context, but the right. Gerd is to look at it. So the one thing I do actually have a question, and this is one I've always wondered about is, Head coverings, uh, this is it's kind of random. I, I know it seems odd, especially within our modern context. But when you're reading 1 Corinthians 11, it does seem like Paul is trying to institute a hierarchy. Like, it's funny, as you said, he says there's no male or female, right, free or slave, uh, Greek or Jew, right? We're all in Christ. And yet here it seems that he institutes the kind of Christ as the head and then the male or husband and then the wife. Uh, is this descriptive of a moment? Is this prescriptive? It seems like at the end of the verse, he talks about all the churches do this. It doesn't seem like it's just descriptive for Corinth, but he's saying this is for all the churches in God. What, any thoughts? Yeah. I'm
2: deferring to Sophie here. Yeah. I, I can comment. Do you want to comment on that?
1: Um. Yeah, I guess my, my understanding of this text has always been, it's been explained to me like um, this is a very... Culturally, rich moment in that we don't understand because of we we live in the modern
3: exactly
1: modern age. So I guess I've never heard a deeper explanation for it, um, but I've always trusted that there's something I'm not seeing that's going on sure. behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. There's cultural things. Uh, he does make some. He does make an a cultural apologetic here. He says at one point, like. Like, we all know it's shameful for a man to have long hair or a woman to have right. short hair. Yes, And we would say, in parts of Africa, that's probably not the case. In parts of Asia, that's probably not the case. Right. It may not be the case in Australia. Right. Probably um, I live in Midwestern U.S. It's not necessarily the case there. So he's he's appealing to to some cultural values mm-hmm. there and saying, let's not cross that line. He uses the word, I'm not a Greek scholar, but he does use the word kapali. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for head, the, the the man is head of the woman, and he does the same in Ephesians five. You know, women submit to your husbands. Um, the The word, the word can mean can refer to authority, but the word can also mean source mm. or from. Okay. And uh, this, and so Paul does actually in First Corinthians 14, um, eleven <laughs> with the head coverings. He does go back and forth. He said, you know, well, so you know, woman came from the man, according to Genesis 2, but but men come from women by birth. And and so he, he keeps kind of defaulting back to this thing. But um I I think the context there fits better to mean source rather than authority. Because mm. he's not really talking about authority here. He's talking about cultural norms and what's proper and and by the way. He does say three chapters later, women are to be silent in the church. But his whole point in 1 Corinthians 11 is that they shouldn't prophesy without their head covered.
3: And this is a question I have. Yes, sir. I, 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 this is something I've been somewhat confused by because it doesn't seem to harmonize well, right? Uh, 11, chapter 11 doesn't seem to harmonize well with 14, and that clearly he talks about, um, what does he say? Uh, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered seems like they're doing it. Right? It seems like the assumption is this is happening in Corinth, and he's not saying it's bad, it's saying it's bad if they're uncovered. And yet a few chapters later, he seems to say they need to be silent. How do we reconcile those two within the same chapter? Or right. Right, like the same book?
2: Yeah. Uh, he's concerned about order in First Corinthians 14, the expression mm-hmm. of the gifts. And he actually restricts not just women speaking, but he restricts people who speak in tongues when there's not an interpreter present. Mm-hmm. And he also restricts prophets from speaking when they need to defer to to someone else who has a word mm. and then he restricts women from speaking and that's the tough one yeah. we're not clear but he uses the same language in restricting each one of those three kinds of speech tongues without interpretation prophets that are that ought to defer to other prophets and women to keep silent mm. so i mean you know at that point it's kind of a guess uh, it may have been culturally inappropriate for where maybe men are on one side and women on the other for a woman to shout across a question mm. to her husband to show public deference mm. to him. Uh, and that may have been disruptive. There, there's any of a, a few things that seem to be mixed into this bowl of spiritual gifts getting out of order, too many people talking all at once. and And so, you know, you have to be careful generalizing that. To say no woman can ever witness to a man, you know, no woman ever speaks. And then you got a contradiction with chapter 11 where he says women are prophesying. Exactly. So he's yeah. obviously something we do. You know, this is like kind of like listening one side of a telephone conversation. Sure. We, we only hear, you know, I, if Sophie's on the phone, I hear what she's saying, but I can't hear what the other person's saying mm. unless she has it on speaker. We don't have this conversation on speakerphone we we only hear paul's side of it and so you got to give yourself
3: the benefit of the doubt and you got to be patient as an interpreter so in one second i'm going to throw it to sophie just talking about the the move of the spirit kind of the the um the way in which the holy spirit will often speak to us and empower us for ministry but real quick before we go i've got to ask this question i hope tim i hope it's okay it's fascinating as pentecostals because we go to first corinthians Uh right 12 yeah we go to the gifts those are for today Right Right? We're continuationists.
2: We, We're we not do. cessationists. We're not cessationists. We
3: absolutely believe the gifts are for today. I believe the gifts are for today. And yet we go one chapter before and we say, this is descriptive of a moment, and yep. it's not for today. Mm-hmm. How do we reconcile that? Well, um,
2: you, you would you would have to do some people go to the next chapter, chapter thirteen, and I say, and say, uh, when the perfect is come, you know the old will pass away, and the gifts of the spirit pass away. Uh, some, some people come to believe that's the coming of the Bible, but, right, yeah. but you know, you have to do exegetical backflips to do that. Right. Again, chap- chapter 11 refers to some cultural norms, okay. so like, like in a way it doesn't in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Gotcha. Um, you, to say that, that, you know, spiritual gifts were only for the Corinthian church, only at that time, would be like saying, um, you know, his instructions against sexual immorality, also in 1 Corinthians, were only for that time. Yeah, I mean, right. this clearly was not linked to anything of a cultural norm right. like it is in 1 Corinthians 11.
3: So the way in which he kind of expresses hair length and things like that, which yeah. are so specifically yeah. cultural, say that those are kind of cues in, in chapter truth. 11, right. whereas we don't really see this in 12. This seems right. to be universal mm. for the church at large, and yeah. the perfect coming is Christ, exactly. uh, not, not yeah. the solidification you know, of the, the, the canon. the parousia the coming the continuation yeah, of the gifts, gifts we would say are for today.
2: exactly wonderful. Okay. That's well put. Don't
3: you? Thank you, sir. So mm-hmm. Sophie, this is, I think, really important for our listeners as well as thinking in terms of what does it mean as a young woman who feels this calling, right? We look at the text, we know sometimes what the culture says, thank goodness for the Pentecost movement for coming <laughs> alongside wonderful young women who are called to ministry, but what does it mean when it comes to the actual move of the spirit? In being called into ministry, like for you specifically,
1: yeah, um, I think I think Dom, what what I think of um, when it comes to women in ministry is like from a young age I've always sensed a call or a desire, like a draw, yeah. and and I I believe like from what I've been taught, like later on coming to realize like oh that's that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me and calling me to people and giving me a heart for them and. Leadership and ministry and discipleship, and all of the things that go along with that. Um, and obviously, I, I'm going to not draw my theology from my own story, like my own narrative experience. Um, but I think it's, it's something that I've wrestled with a lot is feeling the call and the, the draw of the Holy Spirit on my life to, to do ministry. Um, but then yeah, what that looks like from some of these scriptures, it can be confusing. And I think I've heard that echoed in the lives of young women that I come alongside, their their own tension, like, you know, feeling the same way that I have, you know, I know the Lord is calling me to something, but then how do I explain or how do I manage these, these passages in the Bible? Um, is the Holy Spirit saying something to me that is different from what He said in the scriptures that Paul was writing? um which i don't i don't believe that can be the case that can't be true right absolutely yeah.
3: and i think dr bradford's done a wonderful job of showing the importance of good biblical study right taking the text at face value it can be very very dangerous when we are looking at a 2000 year old wonderful work of antiquity that has been translated and that we really need to go deeper into the text but just for the sake of time i'd love to just continue a little bit i so appreciated your podcast and hopefully tim in the show notes we can have a link to that Could you just talk a little bit about 1 Timothy? Because this is a big one as well. Being silent seems like a tension, but this seems to be the one where people seem to almost want to break bread, break break fellowship over, excuse me. They're unwilling to break bread together. The idea of women teaching, right? The idea that women are co-equals, even complementarians would say, of course, we're all co-equals. You know, uh, our Calvinist brothers and sisters, many others would see it in that way, but they still can't teach, right? How do we approach that specific text when it comes to wonderful young women like Sophie who are, are so important? to our community are speaking to the community not just the lives of the women but also the men in our community and inspiring them to follow Jesus what do we do with first timothy
2: without looking at the context it looks like paul's saying women can never lead women are not to be trusted cuz they were deceived before men and women um women are saved if they have children right so that is a wild that's- verse that's what he says in the, yes uh, if
3: childbearing they're gonna childbearing. say through childbearing exactly.
2: and so uh even that last one tips you off there's something going on on the other side of this telephone conversation we may i mean what would he say that for doesn't make any sense because he said by grace we're saved through faith doesn't fit a sociology at all in christ in galatians there's no male nor female there's exactly. no greek nor gentile so so clearly it tips us off there's something going on there I, I, uh, people like Kroger and Kroger have done some really good scholarship mm. in our own fellowship. Dr. Debbie Gill has done some amazing scholarship on this. Um, Dr. Gordon Fee, others mm. uh, in our fellowship, uh, they, they all come to the conclusion that this that this can't be saying that women can never preach mm. or hold leadership positions, um, but rather it, it, there was a female domin- there was a female cult around the Temple of Artemis of Diana in Ephesus. Oh wow! It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It made Ephesus kind of this spiritual zoo because it was mm-hmm. at a trade center as well. So you had all of this spiritual craziness going on. Mm-hmm. And the reason Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus is because false doctrine was starting to be rampant in the Ephesian church. And and he said, I, I'm leave, I urge you to stay so that you could stop the false teachers. Mm-hmm. And that combined with this female, dom- it was actually a female domination cult, hmm. not just you know an equality movement. I mean, right. I'm fine for women's equality, of but, but I'm not for male domination, I'm not right. for female Absolutely. domination. Of course. They had female domination, <laughs> right. equality in and they yeah. were rewriting, and the Gnostics, there's some Gnostic thinking in there too, and they were obviously rewriting Genesis 1 and 2. Hmm. M- women was created first, because they believed in that Diana, That's goddess in Ephesus, was the mother of all life. So women came first, then men, and and Eve never sinned. They say because uh, because uh, she was smart enough to know that if she did take that apple, she she would have wisdom and knowledge. Mm. And so she was the smart one. Adam was the sucker. Wow. Okay. And the Gnostics also believe if you gave birth, you kind of depleted part of yourself as a woman and you never got it back. You couldn't actually, after you died, go to heaven or whatever they perceived that to be until all your offspring died and you recovered your particles oh, of light. Wow. And so and so you read then, then it totally makes sense. He said, I don't want women dominating men. No, Adam was created first, not women, you know, not females and actually actually Eve was deceived first, unlike what you're saying. And and you know what, childbirth isn't gonna kill you or deplete you or affect your eternal condition. You know, in that context, with that stuff going on, it makes it makes perfect sense that he was dealing with that situation. I mean, you got a Greek city, we got this Asian city in Ephesus, you got this Greek city in Corinth. Those are the two places that there seemed to have been some trouble. And um, you know, I I just, given Joel, and given those specific things, it's just hard to generalize from that to say, let's shut down half the church they can't ever be God's mouthpiece.
3: and and that's the thing that is so difficult is the idea that literally fifty percent of the church is unable yeah. to proclaim the gospel based solely on gender. this is it's it's difficult. So real quick, again, I, I know we, we, time is is running out, but let's say that we we have we have students here from many different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and they're coming in with a certain approach to the text, and they hear, both of you, absolutely beautifully articulate context and also you know the, the reality of the move of the Spirit in one's life. But the problem is is what we just talked about might seem extra biblical, right? I'm looking at the God's Word, and I mean, how do you convince people herma, of a hermeneutic? See, because, right, like that seems to be the tension sometimes is because people are going to say, no, this is what God's Word says, and it's true, and I'm going to take it at face value, and I don't need to do all the mental gymnastics. You know, I mean, that's this seems to be the tension sometimes more than because both sides are going to be Bible believing Christians, right? There might even be inerrantists, Mm. but how they approach the text. So how do we get to the point where we can help people get inspired to understand? No, no, no. Context matters. A good hermeneutic matters and taking the Bible at quote unquote face value. I don't even like that term, but you understand what I'm trying to say. How do we inspire young people to get passionate about good biblical study? Sorry, it's a lot. <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> I'll let Sophie
2: take the first shot at that.
3: Oh,
1: I am, I am not sure, Don. I think that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something I see a lot of a lot of students honestly wrestle with. They're they're genuinely befuddled. Like they they're not sure what to do, um, and I think some of that is yeah. like just lack of knowing how to generally interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, just not not being aware that in in any scripture, not just these ones specifically, there's always something more going on that we're not seeing that we have to understand, um, and yeah, and having the opportunity to dialogue with some students and and show them how there's always something more going on, I realize, um, like I said, they're they're honestly asking, and most times when you when you take the time to teach. Mm. And show them they're open to it, and they want to learn, that's great. and yeah, they, they want they to understand. Um, yeah. So I think, at least for for college students in in our context mm-hmm. here, I've, I see a lot of hope. Um, the more we have the chance to teach and pour in and invest, that's great. So like, within
3: within community, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. We Go to it by ourselves; yeah. it can be problematic. But that that discipleship, mm-hmm. that that importance of studying the word in community, hopefully, will draw out those truths, mm-hmm. Doctor Bradford. Uh, yeah, and
2: I would say uh, that's really excellent, Sophie, uh, and. And, and and so let's let's be digging into this together, hmm. and let's not be lazy intellectually mm-hmm. and one dimensional.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, actually, the Bible says the sun moves around the earth, and that got Galileo and a lot it of people. When he realized, no, the earth is moving around the sun, <laughs> right. but it's poetic language, of course. Hmm. But it says, you know, you know, the sun rides its circuit through the sky. I hmm. mean, oh, we, we do that too, like like we would probably say today, oh yeah, the sun is going to set at 5:45. Right, exactly. No, the sun's not setting. We're yeah. it's just the earth spinning. Mm, yeah. But but so, you know, you could do that with all kinds of things in scripture. Mm. Let's just be dumb and one-dimensional, not dumb, but no, let's just be not. one-dimensional about it. Right. Let's not really look at what kind of literature is this? Cuz right. you know, there's poetic literature and there's historic literature and there's the epistles. And and let's not be uh, let's realize that. And here's my here's my bottom line rule of thumb. Yes, sir. I, I want to know what the scripture originally meant mm, amen. by the original author to the original audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to know it's not what it looks like. Like women will be cha- saved if they bear children. Okay, and I could, I could just not know what to do with that, or I could just dig a little deeper. And this is where I don't want to. I, I, dumb's a bad word, but let, let's let's do our work here. Yes, sir. Like what was it, given what Paul knew, what's the closest we can come to to, to understand what he was trying to say? What did he mean to say? Mm-hmm. And and so you do that homework first, and that's where you have to bring in culture history a little bit. And then and then you say, so what of that, what's the principle that applies to me today? Mm. And and that's kind of how I look at interpreting
3: scripture. And, and I think that's probably the, my last question is, what does this mean for us today? Because there's there's questions. I and mean, uh, women being, it's one thing to say silent. I think the vast majority of church still, I mean, there are some traditions, but many wouldn't go there. Some still would. Okay. Teaching becomes a big deal. Okay. But then ordination, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, can we talk a little about where the Assemblies of God currently stands and what this means? What's the application of us embracing women in ministry, not just as this abstract idea, but actually coming alongside and getting excited about the potential of this?
1: Um, I think, I think for me, as someone who's gone through the credentialing process mm-hmm. in the Assemblies of God, and I've I've had the opportunity to be supported by um, not just women, but men who have come alongside me and supported my call and helped me discover what I feel like the Lord and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Um, the, the voices of older mentors who have studied the Scriptures is is really essential. Mm. In the lives of young women in the church, encouraging them, validating their call, um, and and also having the honesty and transparency to sit down with the scriptures and answer the hard questions. Like this conversation, I found really valuable um, because of that. That uh, Dr. Bradford, even you'd be willing to to sit down and know, answer answer some cool. questions <laughs> that you know I've wrestled with because it's it's my life and my calling that I feel like it affects right. and impacts and. Um, when I've seen students who don't have the opportunity to have that wrestle alone, I think it's scary for them because they don't know the questions to ask mm. in, in all the cases yeah. um, and they're maybe drawing some wrong conclusions because they're not in community but also they don't have older voices of, of people who have you know walked before them in that. Um, so I think for me feeling the validation from um, other pastors, other people in ministry, both men and women, has, has gone a long way just in encouraging me to help others as well.
2: Right, awesome. And that's always, as back to community too, and that 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 was what, you know, when, when the Pentecostal Revival started, at the beginning of the 20th century, um, amazing things started to happen to women as God's Spirit came on them and then through them. Mm. And we had women go all over the world preaching the gospel.
1: Yeah.
2: But then... You know the more religious establishment caught caught up with it and kind of from 1920 on we started kind of regressing a little bit but in the raw outpouring of the holy spirit it was men and women without discrimination and men and women were going all over the world to Mm -hmm. preach the gospel and and so these sons of god started in 1914 and so they credentialed women from the beginning a few years later actually started ordaining them and so we we've always stood there uh, in, in that position, um, I, I for almost 10 years, I served as a General Secretary for the Sons of God, which oversaw the credentialing. Wow. So when I became General Secretary, it was like 19% of all our ministers were, were female. Now it's like 26 or 27%, wow. Wow. and mm-hmm. it's constantly increasing. Praise I Lord. remember some years where half of our brand new credential holders were all female. Wow. So wow. I, I hope we're really rebounding back in a very strong way.
3: And and my last question will be, so this is incredible when we think of the um, credentialing process, ordination. So what can we say to young people who one day will be leaders in churches, men and women, right? Like, what, what should the makeup of our churches be? And that's a big statement, and I apologize to say that. But sometimes we talk about it. We look at Scripture. We talk about the excitement of what God's doing. But then we go to some of our churches, mm-hmm. and on paper, mm-hmm. we support women in ministry. But what does it actually look like in the pulpit on Sunday? Exactly. What does this look like?
2: Yeah. I, I would say, I'll let Sophie have the last word on that one. But I, I, would, just, I would just say, you know, be patient. Our culture is still mm-hmm. shifting back to what I think God attended in Acts 2. Um, be patient and be faithful with what God has given mm-hmm. you. Let your gifts go before you. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life validate you. Um, seek out mentors. I do think male leaders can be door openers and and sponsors mm-hmm. as well, like you were talking about sophie so but you know, just do what God's called you to do. Mm. about seven hundred of our thirteen thousand churches in the Summers of God are pastored by females wow. lead pastors wow um so you know. Don't give up. Amen. <laughs> or start a church. If they, you're just totally you go. frustrated, go start go something. Go plan. Yeah, I, love I know. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I planted a church. I was, and I had no education in theology, but you know that's how I started, and wow. you know maybe God would open doors too, given frustration at other levels, perhaps. Sure. Yeah, wonderful. Thank mm-hmm.
3: you, sir. Sophie, thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I agree. I absolutely. I think what you're saying is, um. Yeah, what we need the. The opportunity for it. Um, something that I've been um, uh, taught here is just always paying attention to see how you could open doors for people around you. Hmm. Um, and I think that's what you were saying, Dr. Bradford, just in the churches being mindful of who's there uh, for pastors, who's in their care as shepherds of the flock, um, that they could support and call up in their journey.
3: Amen. Good word. I love it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so One good. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for the conversation. I just, I just want to sit back and listen. So th- <laughs> thank you. I, I learned a lot today. Thank you so much. And, uh, For those listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll continue taking a look at other topics uh, as we continue on through the semester to just be a resource. And uh, for those of you who are listening to us, go over and check out the Jim Bradford podcast as well, because they are diving into some some great topics and uh, some great conversation over there, too. Uh, So thank you so much for tuning in and God bless you.